0: So if you are a child in here, you are welcome to go to Kids Dome at this moment. And for the rest of us that are in here, if you would just remain standing for the reading of God's Word, I would appreciate that as well. And we're going to read Romans chapter 13 once our children are out of the building, beginning in verse 1. Not out of the building, out of the room. We're not, we're not, we're not, we're not um, evicting them. We're just moving them to another room, other rooms. Amen. People got worried, like, where are my kids going? they leaving the building. No, no, no. Romans chapter 13, verse 1, when you got it, say so. And it says this, it says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only for, not only because of wrath, but also for conscious sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to, to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom <clears throat> taxes are due. Custom to, to, to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe oh, no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this knowing the time, that it is high time to awake out of sleep for our for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believe the night is far spent the day is at hand therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us all put on the armor of light let us walk properly as in the day not in revelry and drunkenness not in lewdness and lust not in strife and envy but put on the lord jesus christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust god we thank you for your word that is truth we thank you because we know that your word brings change to our lives we know that your word illuminates us it is a lamp unto our feet it is a light unto our path and so god we humble ourselves before your word today and despite what may be going on in our lives as individuals what may be going on in our nation collectively and what may be going on in our world globally lord god we trust that you are still upon your throne and we trust, Lord God, that your word comes to us to instruct us on how we are to live in the midst of the time and the days that we are living. You are not shocked by these times, but you prophesied about these days in which we live. You spoke to us, warning us, preparing us, and even equipping us to live righteously in the midst of these times, Lord. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us wisdom, that you give us grace, that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church this morning. And God, I just want to to take a moment to pray, Heavenly Father, for pulpits throughout this land today. Father, for pastors that will be preaching your word and sharing with your people, I pray that you would give each of us that share your word this morning the wisdom, the boldness, the courage, Lord God, and the grace to communicate your truths that will, Lord God, exhort, that will encourage, that will rebuke, that will build up your people, Lord God, for they need you in these days. We need you in these days more than ever, and so, God, glorify yourself. And may I pray, God, as well, for the churches, Lord God, for the body of believers that are sitting in churches all across this land. May they not be idle in their hearing of your word. May they not sit down, Lord God, and think about the bills that need to be paid and think about this or that, but may may their minds be on the truth of your word this morning, Lord God. May we be captivated by your love and your grace, and may you give us the ability to respond to you in faith. We pray this in Jesus' good name, and everyone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. So this morning we are going to continue in our series. We're, we're, we're in our no apology series. If you don't have an outline, please raise your hand. Just hold it up. I want to make sure that everybody gets an outline. It's helpful for you. And what I'll be talking about today, you'll see um, again the application that I give. But just keep your hand up. Make sure you don't put your hand down until you have an outline. Um, these outlines are important to us um, because, like I explain every week, number one, you can follow along in the intro of the sermon. You can also write down notes. There's an there's a opportunity for you to write down notes. There's some questions in there for you that you can answer, that I encourage you to answer. And then the third reason why I always say that, it, that these notes are so important is because it gives you the opportunity to help make disciples. What we want to do is we want to make disciples. We want to be a disciple-making church. We want to be a people that are obedient to the scriptures. And so this morning, my challenges are at another level for you to make disciples. And I'll show you why as we get into this sermon. So just keep that hand up if you don't have an outline. Make sure that you get one. All right praise the Lord Jesus and so we are continuing in our series no no apologies however I did change the message that I was going to preach and so as I was preparing and I prepare normally prepare the, the sermon I complete the sermon on Thursdays and so you know Thursday I finished up the sermon I actually finished up later than normal uh, and then Friday after uh, you know watching the news and you know and, and hearing you know reading stuff and and I, you know the family and I we went to the beach and so we're there on the beach and as I'm there I just started to feel uneasy in my spirit And I was like, man, I don't know. I feel like I might need to preach something else. And then yesterday when I woke up, I was laying down and the Lord allowed for my family to sleep late. I guess the sun warmed out. Glory to God. My son specifically, everyone else sleeps late except my son, but my son slept until like 11 o'clock yesterday. Glory to God. Amen. Hallelujah. (laughs) And so usually he's like up at like seven. I'm like, son, son, please. I mean, but anyway, so the reality is I'm sitting there on the couch and I'm meditating on the Lord and, you know, had some prayer time. And I felt compelled to, to share this message that I'm going to share with you this morning. The title of this message is Sleeping on the Job. Sleeping on the Job. And I, I share a story um, years ago about probably, I don't know, I'm not going to tell you how many years ago, but it was a long time ago. Uh, maybe, maybe 16, 18, 20, I don't know, probably like 20 years ago, something like that. I worked my, my first real job. When I say real job, I don't mean like when I worked at Burger King or Taco Bell that those weren't real jobs. But those weren't like the jobs that were going to sustain me. Amen? Amen. Somebody say Amen unless I was going to move up in management, and then that's a different story, right? But typically, you know, that wasn't that wasn't my plan. And so, my first real job, I worked overnight. I worked in an adolescent residential campus, and I was um, similar to a correction officer, but, um, you know, no, no titles and stuff like that. And in this job, I used to work overnight. So, I worked Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And so, worked 10-hour shifts. And so, overnight, it was two guys in each what they would call a cottage. And so, there was certain, you know, certain kids that were in a hallway. And so, uh, the, the way that the, the way that the cottages were set up was you had a hallway and there were a bunch of rooms in the hallway at the end of the hallway like if I was right here this would be the end of the hallway and so I we would sit right here we could see down the hallway there was a back door just like there is here and then over here was the living room area and then that was a door to go outside and so basically at night we would sit as the night monitors what we were called we would sit on this table and we would take turns taking naps Full disclosure here, I don't work there anymore, right? I repented of my sins because that was sinful, right? But the reality was there were, there were times that um, when one of you thought the other one was awake, it really wasn't like that. Mm-hmm. And you found yourself both sleeping on the job and so very dangerous because you are watching convicted felons. All these young people, convicted felons, and they're in there, and it would be very easy for them to do something crazy And because you're sleeping on the job, some things could happen that wouldn't be good. Amen? Not only would you lose your job, but someone could lose their life. There's some things that could have occurred. And so ultimately, when I was thinking about this message, I thought about that. You know how important it is for the church not to be sleeping on the job. We've been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of the kingdom of God. We've been called as sons and daughters. We're talking about this apologetics, defending the faith. We're talking about being a people who are the light in the midst of a dark world. And yet, church, I want to tell you something. Many of us are sleeping on the job. Many of us are not awake, we're not vigilant, we're not prayerful, we're not sober, we're not seeking God. And what we are seeing is the ramifications, hear me when I say this, of a church that has been sleeping on the job for generation after generation after generation. What we're seeing today didn't start last week. What we're seeing today didn't start a month ago. What we're seeing today didn't start a year ago. What we're seeing today didn't start eight years ago. Hello, somebody. Are you hearing what I'm saying? What we're seeing today has been happening slowly but surely. We have been seeing the moral decay of our nation. And the reason for this is because of one, and listen, I say this sincerely, it is primarily because of one thing, and that is a church that is sleeping. The church in America is so concerned with having all of their things. We're so concerned with being blessed. We're so concerned with having all of the stuff that we want. We're so concerned with sowing a seed and reaping a harvest. We're so concerned with getting everything that we can get for ourselves. We're so concerned with having that house and having that car and having those clothes and all of this. We're so concerned with all of that, we're not consumed with God any longer. God has become this magical genie in the bottle type God that we call upon to bless us. But we don't we don't bow to him in reverence. We don't bow to him in worship. We're, listen to me when I say this. We are more concerned. You know how the genie works, right? You get three wishes, right? And then there are certain rules of things that you can't wish for. Any of y'all ever watched Aladdin? You know this kind of stuff. Anyway, I don't encourage you to watch that. But the point is. Some of you know about the whole genie situation. And can I tell you something? We are the same way with God. We are learning what we can ask, and that way we can ask it from him, and we can tell him, God, you owe us this because your word says that this pertains to us, and you have to give us this. That's how we are. We're not asking God, how do I live holy because you're holy. We're not asking God, God, what do you want from me? We're simply trying to figure out what are the promises of God that are yes and amen so that way we can have from God what we want church is sleeping on the job, especially here in these United States of America. Look at your outline with me here. We are living in times of violence and the disregard for human authorities like never before. Listen to me. When I say this, this is sincere. Last week when I was preaching and I was talking about the different sins, and we went through Romans chapter 1, and we talked about the different sins of our day, and we, and we, one of them was violence And what we're seeing is this disregard for authority, this disregard, this violence that is rising up and that is is coming out. And God has established three institutions of authority under his ultimate authority. That is the home, the church, and the government. Three institutions of authority that God establishes from the beginning. I could have thrown in there employers, but I won't throw that one in there right now. But here's the thing. Three places that we see where God demands and commands authority. He calls that in the home, right? He calls husbands to lead. He calls wives to submit. He calls children to submit to parents there's an authority structure in the home there is in the church there is jesus christ the senior pastor there's bishops elders whatever you want to call them pastors there are ministers and then there are the the members of the church that's god's order not man's order that's the way god set this thing up and then you have the government and the government listen it is like this we see in the old testament we see that there were kings who were in place we see those who, who were established as kings, and then, but well, we don't live in that kind of government in our nation. God has left that freedom up to us to decide what kind of government we're going to have. Nonetheless, God establishes, according to his word, all authority. Is that not what it says? And so we see these three areas of authority. Now, here's something I don't want you to realize. Disregard of any of these without biblical justification is problematic, as is any of these overstepping their boundaries. Did you hear that? If we disregard any of these without biblical justification, what is a biblical justification to disregard any of these authority? If I, as a husband, tell my wife to do something like lie, my wife has the right not to disrespect me, but to disregard the request. She has the right to tell me, honey, and she ain't got to say it like this. She can just, she doesn't have to be all diplomatic and all, no, she can simply say, babe, I ain't going to lie. I like the example, I, you know, I've heard it before, you know, if I'm sitting in the house, someone calls the house, and, you know, my wife picks up the phone, and they say, hey, can I speak to Jason? And she's like, you know, she puts a phone, you know, it's so-and-so, and I'm like, no, no, tell him I'm not here. <laughs> Nowadays, you have an answering machines, so you got to do that. Hello. <laughs> you know, you have, you're, you're able to screen your calls, you know, you got, you got caller ID. But nonetheless, if, if I tell my wife, tell him I'm not here, she doesn't have to lie and tell him that I'm not here. She can simply say he is unavailable. Right. She doesn't have to lie for me. She can simply say I'm not available. That's a biblical. If, if I ask my children to do something that violates the scriptures, listen to me when I say this, violates the scriptures, not your feelings. Did you hear me? Because many of us will say, you know what, I, I don't want to listen to that because I don't feel it. I don't care what you feel. It doesn't matter what you feel. What does the Bible say? Because I may not feel like doing something and I got to do it. Hello, somebody. The Bible says to obey your parents is what the scriptures say. And so if I tell my, chi- my children that they have to get up at a certain time, they may not be feeling it, but I'm not violating a biblical thing. Hello, somebody. You got to get up, glory to God. Right? But I'm not feeling it. That violates my- I don't care what it violates your feelings. It's not about that. If the Bible does not clearly tell you something or tell you not to do something, you have no right to say no to someone. Are you here? Those that are in authority. I ain't getting get no amens on that. I know you don't want to hear that. And, I'm, and you're going to find out on my first point the reason why. You don't want to say amen to what I just said, but it is the truth nonetheless. And here's, here's the thing our culture is suffering from a desperate display of the depravity of man. This is your second paragraph here. The desperate display of the depravity of man that has been enhanced by two issues. Hear me when I say this. What we're seeing, I, I want you to understand for one moment what we are seeing, it shouldn't shock you that you're seeing the things that you're seeing, it should break you, not shock you. There's a difference. Because what has happened to many of us is that we are no longer shocked, so we're no longer broken. We no longer, it, it no longer, when we hear about shootings, I, you know, I read someone on Facebook, I don't remember what day it was, maybe Thursday, Friday, something like that. And, and they were like, man, you know, I can't wait to wake up one day and not hear about another shooting, not hear about another death, not hear about another crazy situation. Yeah, I long for that day too. And I can tell you something, if we continue the way that we are, we're not going to wake up to those days. But here's the reality, because we are no no longer shocked by what's going on, because it becomes the norm in the culture, guess what? We're no longer broken over what's going on, and that's wrong. That's what the Bible says, that because sin will abound, this is Jesus speaking in the book of Matthew, I think chapter 25. He says, because sin will abound, the love of many will wax cold. And what he was saying is, because what happens is this, because sin becomes so abundant in the days that we're living in, what happens is our love. You know what makes you cry over people being killed? It is the love that you have in your heart. But when you are no longer experiencing the love of God, which will be my second point, when you're no longer experiencing that overflowing in your heart, the only people you care about are those that you love directly. You don't care about anybody else that's going through whatever they're going through. That's the reason why some people are able to get on the social media and, and rejoice. This, somebody actually said this Dallas, you are my heroes. Literally said that. You know what that is? That is the depravity of men. That is the sinfulness of men. So it shouldn't shock us. But here's what I want you to realize is that when the Spirit of God is moving in the church and when God is moving through the church, you know what begins to happen? We are called salt. That, that's what we're called. We're called light. You know what salt does? Salt holds back that moral decay. But you know, when the salt loses its saltiness, it is good for nothing but to be cast out on the dunghill. Hello. So what are we seeing in our days? Are we seeing a church that has lost its saltiness? Are we seeing a church, and, I'm, and remember I told you the other day, I'm not, 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 not talking about that nasty saltiness, hello. Are we seeing a church that has lost its saltiness, that no longer is there any hold back for the moral, for the moral decay in our days because we've lost our voice because of compromising lifestyles? Because we're more concerned with with allowing the world to influence us than us influencing the world. Hear me when I say this. So, in the second paragraph, our culture is suffering from a desperate display of the depravity of man that has been enhanced by two issues. First, and hear me when I say this. I say this with no hair on my tongue. A government that has lost its way listening to secular humanist psychology and ignoring the biblical values it was established upon. Can I tell you what we need more than anything? We really need people to lead this nation that really Fear God, that really love God, that really hold the Bible as being the real standard of God, and that really cry out to God. Not these people that get up there talking about. I go to church. I don't care how much church you go to. The other day I was well, I was looking online and on, on Facebook, and they had something about I don't, I don't. It was one of the politicians. I won't even name them. And they went through this, and they were like, "You'll be surprised about what they do." And they pointed out how every single one of our, every single one of our politicians that were running for office, they pointed out all of their Christianness. Except for one of them, it was Bernie Sanders, and I'll say him because he's the only one that's a Jewish that says he's non-practicing. He says he believes in God, all that kind of stuff. But can I tell you something? I don't care how much church you go to. I don't care what church your name is on the membership of, because can I tell you something? Most churches today, they don't care about your lifestyle. They just want to have people on their numbers. Most churches, you want to be a member in their church, they want you to be there. They don't care if you live holy. They care about one thing. Are you writing checks? Hear me when I say this. They care, are you writing, if you're writing checks, you can be a member. All they care about is, are you tithing, are you right? That, that's all they, that's all they're concerned about. And then, you know, other churches, they're concerned about a little bit of something else. They're concerned about the notoriety that comes with your name, hello. So they definitely want you to be on their, on, on their list of people that go to their church, because then people start looking at their church, hello, somebody. But here's the thing. We need people that are in leadership in this nation. And that's what we need to pray for. And today we're going to pray for sure. But that's what we need to pray for is praying for people that would rise up and that God would sit down all of those people that do not fear him, that do not honor him. Because the truth of the matter is, slowly but surely, as we continue to forget about the foundations, I mean, go and look up some quotes. Just when you go home today, just for fun, just go ahead and look up some quotes from George Washington. And look at the kind of quotes that Abraham Lincoln said. Look up quotes of men of God. Who led this nation look up quotes of how their dependence upon God was look up quotes about how they sought God and how they knew that without God this nation was nothing look up those kind of men because those are the kind of men or women those are the kind of people that we need in the leadership in this nation. That's what we need to be praying for. And church, we need to stop, you know, pandering and saying, well, I'm going to go for this one because they said one Bible verse. And i like, man, you need to stop letting people twist the scriptures on you and act like they're loving Jesus because they see. No, it's a lie. Anyone who is, who listen, anyone who will allow morality to continue to erode our culture, they don't love God. I don't care what they say. They do not love God. I don't listen. You are deceived and you are deceiving. The Bible talks about this deception these last days. But let's look at the second point here because it's not just our government's fault. But the second reason why we're seeing this is because the church is failing to make disciples. You want to know why we don't have any good choice for politicians? Because the church has failed to make disciples. Are you hearing me? Because the church has failed in its job to raise people up in the gospel. We have failed to develop people in their faith. We have failed to help people to grow and know what is right from wrong. We've allowed, we, we've been silent for too long and just allowing people to sit back and because we don't want to argue, listen, let's argue about it, let's talk about it, but let's come to terms with what the word of God teaches, not what your opinion is, not what your political party's opinion is, not what anybody's opinion is, not what your denominational opinion is. I don't care about any of that stuff. We need to get to the place that this is the highest authority. That's what we need. We need a church that is more consumed and more concerned with what the scriptures teach than what anybody else is saying about anything. That we go back to our Bibles and that we begin to restore and we begin to regain that fear of God that we have lost, church. That reference for his word. Listen, you know why I ask you to stand up to read the Bible? And I say it because we're reading the word of God. Because it should be automatic in us. It should be automatic in you. Listen, I feel uncomfortable when I go to churches and they don't make me stand up to read the Bible. I'm not going to stand out in the crowd and stand up like I'm super holy because I'm not holier than anyone else in the room. But I understand this. When the Word of God is being read, you know why we tell people, you know why I wait for the kids to walk out of the building when we're reading the Bible? Because I don't want there to be movement. When we are reading the Scriptures, we are reading God's Holy Word. Listen, you want to hear God clearly? Read the Word of God. Because let me tell you something right now. I am fallible. I will fall short, and so you know what? I'm not telling you to tune me out or anything like that. What I'm telling you is this word, this word is not fallible, and when we read this Bible, it is God speaking to us, and you know what we need to do? We need to stand at attention. We need to humble our hearts. We need to open our ears. We need to get everything else out of our minds because it's time for God to speak. That's what we need in this nation. That's what we need in this land. That's what we need in the church of God today. And so last paragraph here. As a church, we cannot sleep any longer. Going through life as usual. Usual has passed. We are living in an urgent hour. The gospel must be proclaimed. Disciples must be made. And the church must regain its influence within our culture. Can someone say amen to that? We must regain this. My my big idea here this morning is this. A sleeping church cannot defend the faith in the midst of a culture under the sway of darkness. This is the big idea. A sleeping church cannot defend the faith in the midst of a culture under the sway of darkness. If we are asleep, listen, I I, I remember who it was I was talking to, but, you know, we're talking about how, how, how how hard it is to fall asleep with the lights on. My wife, if you if you have lights on, you know, it used to be at, at one point. Now she's so exhausted. By the time she hits that bed, she's able to turn over, and once in a while, because I don't really do it very often, but once in a while, I may watch the television and got some headphones in case I want to do that, and so she she can turn over and fall asleep. But for but for me, when I when I when I when I lay down in my bed, in my bed, there you can see where the, there's this wind. There's this window that's right out of my door, and so there's these shades that are right there. And if you don't turn these blinds a certain way, there's this crack of light that comes right in. And it's like smacking me right in my face. It's like, when, it, when especially like right in the middle of the night. I think I told you all the story. I'll just tell you all it again. When my wife and I, right before we got married, she went on her last um, trip with her family and she graciously allowed me to come. Praise the Lord for that. And um, we went to the Grand Canyon. And when we went to the Grand Canyon. It was the first time that I was ever in the wilderness. I'm a city boy. I was born in Miami, right? Um, raised in Fort Lauderdale and moved up here to Orlando. And so I don't know anything about the country. I don't know anything like that, right? So we go out here and and and, in this particular event, we had this, um, we we had the, uh, the privilege of sleeping outside with not inside of a tent. And so, you know. City boy was super scared, right? I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm not gonna be in a tent. And the guy's like, look, man. He said, if you get in a tent, you're gonna be sweating to death. He said, you just need to sleep out here. It's not gonna rain. You're gonna be fine. And I was like, all right, man, I'm gonna trust you. And I remember, you know, I got in this cot. I I wasn't not laying on the floor. Um, Amen. You know, so we had a cot. Laid on this cot, had a sleeping bag. I was like in the sleeping bag like this. I mean, I was like so scared. It was crazy. But anyway, um, I remember. I remember I was asleep, and at one point, you know, you forget about where you are because you're like knocked out. And I turned over and it was like someone put a flashlight in my eyes. And what it was, it was the moon because I've never seen the moon that bright. But the moon, when you're out there and there's no other false lights around there, the moon shines brightly. What we need to be, church, is we need to be this light that shines brightly like this. But here's the deal. The reason why we're sleeping is because it's so dim and it's so comfortable. Look, if I were to lower these lights down right here, glory to God, the AC's kicking, y'all can hear that. We lower these lights, and I promise you, I could talk, I could yell, I could do backflips up here. And you know what? Some of y'all be like, some of y'all got the lights on, and I'm yelling, and you're still, you know. But anyway, sleeping, man, just wake up, glory to God. But here, here is here is the deal. If we're gonna influence the culture, we can't be sleeping. We, can, we have to be vigilant. So the first point I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must acknowledge, we must acknowledge God's, authority God's authority and governing authorities. The first point is this. We must acknowledge God's authority in governing authorities. The first, the first seven verses here in Romans talks about this particular topic, and we'll just look at it for, just, just let's walk through real quick, and then I'll make a couple of points here and move on, because I really want to get to the last point, which is the last, the last um, four verses. But it says here, it says, and let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God and so what do we see here authority i already talked about at home family right i talked about the 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 church i talked about who else the government and so these authorities are established by god it's not established by man God is the one who appoints these authorities, and he, and, he, and he uses that particular word. Therefore, whoever resists, listen to this. Therefore, whoever resists the authority, resist the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you. Look at this, this is so important for us to see because as we pray for our leaders, we need to pray for this, God's ministers. You see what the scripture says? He is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. That's talking about what? That's talking about judgment, right? That's talking, that's speaking about what, what, what God tells Noah. Remember, remember way back when in the book of Genesis, when Noah comes out of the ark and he makes his sacrifice? And remember what he talks about? He says that if anyone sheds man's blood, then there's going to be a recompense. God is going to recompense that. This is, what, this is what this is pointing to, right? This is why he's using the word. He's talking about this sword here right? There's judgment that the government is there in order to do that. So that way we don't have to do that. God allows them to do that. So we don't have to hold those judgments to ourselves for he is God's minister. Listen to this an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject. Hear me, not only for wrath, but also for conscious sake for because of this, you also pay taxes for they are God's ministers attending continually to you for this very thing. Render therefore to all do all their due taxes to him tax are due custom, to whom customs are due, fear to whom fear is due, and honor to whom honor is due. Now, there is no question, I said that I would point this out to you, the reason why some of you don't like to hear verses like this. There is absolutely no question. Every one of us has issues with authority. Every one of us has issues with authority. I don't care how much you think you don't, we all do. We were all born with it. And you know, and you know where the proof is? I'm gonna tell you where the proof is. The proof is in this thing, the notorious terrible twos. That's where the proof is. Everybody, everybody warns you about the terrible twos. And listen, no matter how much you pray it out, no matter how much you beat it out, no matter how much you time it out, you're going to experience it. Hello. <laughs> Bottom line, everybody's terrible twos are different. Some terrible twos are like way at another level, glory to God. Other terrible twos, they're not so much. They're still terrible. Hello, somebody. They still have issues. They still have, it, it, you know, it's different. But here's what I want you to know. Everyone has authority. Everyone has authority issues. Every, not, not some of us. All of us do. And listen, especially, hear me when I say this, especially when you see injustice in the authority that you see. When you see authority do something that is wrong, that, that, you know what that does? I'm going to tell you what that does. That fuels a your rebellion. You, you're like, no, man, it fuels me to be pro-. No, 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 It fuels a rebellion. That's what it does. You may be smarter now than when you were two. At two, you just knew how to say, no, I don't want it. That's what my son says all the time. No, I don't want it. Put me down. Right? Authority issues. That's just authority issues, right? But here's the deal. You got smarter. You got older. And so now you know how to talk better. You're still saying, no, I don't want it. Put me down. I'll tell you what to do. You said, that's still you. That's still me. And listen, am I, am I, am I, am I downplaying that, that there's some, some, say some. some. There's some authority that is unjust. There's some authority figures that are messed up. Just like there are some Puerto Ricans that are messed up. Hello? Not every Puerto Rican is messed up. Not every white guy is messed up. Not every black guy is messed up. Are are you hearing me, right? Like, you know, some women are like, all men are this. No, not all men. Some men. There are some men that for sure they need to be in a doghouse because they are dogs for sure. But that does not mean every other man needs to be in that doghouse with them. Hello, somebody. There are still some good men, I, I, I'm just saying, right, on the planet. And so we can't just, just put people in a category. Every white guy is this. Every black guy is this. Every Spanish guy is this. Every cop is this. Every politician is this. Stop it. We can't have this mindset. And above all, you know what we have to do? We have to go back to the scriptures. You know, you have abusive dads, and then all of a sudden you don't want to respect Dads. You have abusive, you know, moms or whatever. All of a sudden, you want You don't want. You don't want to respect them, and that's what happens in our government. You know, having people question parents and you know all this kind of stuff. And you know, I said when they when, when they when they cross boundaries they shouldn't cross. It's problematic. It's the truth. Secular humanism. It's a problem. I remember being in Bible college. This is no lie. Listen to me now. There's no lie. This, Bible college. It was probably like. I mean, Alexis is, is 14 now, so she wasn't even born, so it has to be like maybe 19, 18 years ago, something like that. And I remember being in my second year of Bible college and sitting down, they were talking about Christian education. And when they were talking about, talking about Christian education, mind you, this is when secular human, humanism was just getting really, like, noticed, Right? It had already been in there for a while and people were already seeing this stuff. But I remember our teacher, Harvey Pittman, he was going through this whole thing on secular humanism and Harvey Pittman, he had one of those real monotone voices, like he was not like me. He was like talking and he was older and he would talk like this and then he always sounded like he had something in his throat and I was like, bro, can you just get that out? And, and, and so he's the kind of guy that, you know, the room be a little warm, and all of a sudden your, your seat started to get real comfortable, and his voice was just like putting you to sleep kind of stuff, and I'm like, glory to God. And then I'm like, man, and I, remember the, and I remember our class was really small, so they took us from the regular seats, which were a little bit more uncomfortable, and they took us back to this nice room that was like an executive room with these nice chairs. It was terrible for this guy to teach in that, in that room. But I'm going to tell you what, when he started teaching on secular humanism with his, with, his, with, his, with his monotone voice and his going through everything and didn't want to clear his throat, I was listening more attentively than ever before because all I could think about, and I was, my wife was not even pregnant, all I could think about was my unborn daughter or my unborn child that I was going to have to make a choice where was I going to do for school for them. Was I going to put them in this secular humanistic mind? I mean, this, this, this thing that was going on that, that, that was just so anti-biblical. It was just not godly. It was, it was, was I going to do that? And listen I, listen, I know we have some. I thank God, you know, for the teachers that we have in here and those that work in the school system. And I pray for you that God give you wisdom and grace. But let me tell you something. They're not a majority. And I had to pray about this. Because of what? Because of this, this this mindset that is being that that our kids are having to hear. That's the only reason why. Listen, I'll be like, glory to God, I could have bought like six houses and nine cars by the time Alexis and Josiah graduate from private school. But I won't put them anywhere. Amen. But I will not. But I but, but I just won't entrust them to anything else that I'm gonna have to combat. That's just my decision. What I'm telling you is as parents that have your kids, because some of you have your parents in, in public schools and all that kind of stuff. And again, I'm not trying to bash any public schools. I'm simply trying to bring the reality. You need to look at the fruit of what we're seeing. Are you hearing me? We need to look at the fruit of what we're seeing. And it's not just because, oh, you know, you know people are just bad. Yeah, people are sinful, that's for sure. But it's because of the, the indoctrination that continues to go on and on in their hearts. And so here's, here's what I need you to understand here that there is no question we all have this battle, this struggle against authority. And we see, and, and all of us see this clearly, like I said in our terrible twos. Nonetheless, from the home to the church to the government, God has appointed, say appointed, God has appointed these authorities that exist. God has appointed them, and so what do we have to do? Well, I'm going to tell you what we need to do. What the Bible tells us to do is that as believers, we must pray for our leaders. Did you hear me when I said that? We must pray for our leaders. We must pray for those that are in leadership. Well, how do we pray for them? Well, first of all, we pray for those that are in leadership already that they would do what? That they would be God's ministers and that if they are in rebellion against God's word, that they would turn from their rebellion and that they would submit to the will and the wisdom of God. Are you here? That's what we need to pray for. We need to pray for these people to have a change of heart. But we also need to pray that they would be what? That they would be appointed, that, that we would be wise. And the next thing that I would say, the Bible doesn't talk about this, but I'm going to talk about this. The Bible said the Bible does not say anything about voting. You want to know why? Because that wasn't an option in Bible days. It wasn't an option. You remember, you remember, you remember this guy by the name of Samuel, Old Testament? Remember that the people of God asked him for a king. They were like, God, we want a king. We want a king. We want a king. And so what did God do? God said, okay, you want a king? I'm going to give you a king. And what does Samuel do? Did Samuel go over there and hold like a big rally and start having people say, hey, these are a couple of candidates that we have here. We want you to vote for which one you like best. Is that what happened? No. What happened was Samuel goes over there. He's, you know, he's like, okay, well, you're the one. God has chosen you. Anoints the guy. That guy is the king. He's appointed as king. And they go through the same thing. David, you know, Saul rebels against God, and, you know, he, he, he doesn't do what God wants him to do. And then what is David? What, what happens with God? God appoints Samuel, and he tells Samuel, go ahead, and I want you to go to Jesse's house. I want you to anoint one of his sons. He anoints his guy by the name of David. But can I tell you something? Because when we look at the story of David and Saul, you know what's one thing that you need to notice here? Is that the moment that David was anointed king, he was anointed king. That's for sure. But can I tell you something? He didn't become king until years, years later. And you want to know what he did the whole time? That he had two opportunities for him to kill Saul. Guess what? While Saul was trying to kill him. It wasn't like a, you know, unjust situation. It was like, hey, man, you're trying to kill me, bro. You're throwing spears at me. I haven't done anything wrong. And the guy chose what? He chose not to touch God's anointed. Are you hearing me? And so when we look at this, we look at this great example. But here's, here's, here's my point. My point is the Bible doesn't talk about voting. But can I tell you something? Our Constitution allows it. Hello, somebody our government allows us. You know what that means? That means that we should vote for godly leaders and we should vote for laws that, are, that, that uphold what? The Word of God. Hello, somebody. Are y'all here? I got like three amens in the room. I'm just glad my mom's with me. Amen, somebody. Glory to God. As long as she's with me, whatever. But here's the thing. The thing is, we have, we have this great opportunity. So first of all, we pray for those leaders. We pray for godly leaders. The second thing is, as Christians, we know what the Bible says. We should, and we seek God's wisdom so we can vote for the right people so we're not complaining for four years or eight years or whatever about what's going on. I'm just saying, hello, somebody, right? I'm not just talking about the last eight years either. I'm talking about throughout because people never stop complaining. Can I just say it? We we never stop complaining. We just complain, 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 complain. I wonder how much we pray, though. So we vote, right? We do that biblically. And you know what the the Bible says clearly that we read in these scriptures here? Honor those in authority. Those, and hear me when I say this, honor position over the person. Did you hear me? Honor the position over the person. That doesn't mean you ignore injustice. That doesn't mean you ignore truth. That doesn't, that, does, that doesn't mean you give someone a pass. It's the same way my wife and I in our marriage, okay? She honors and she respects me. But when I am wrong, you can know that I'm going to know it. Are you hearing me? It's not like God says, Jason is the head of the house, you shut up. That isn't what God says right? That isn't the way that it works. That isn't, and listen to me, that isn't even the way that our government works. And listen, y'all want to think about this. Even in the midst of other types of governments, you know a guy by the name of John the Baptist, you know why he was arrested? You know why? Because he was speaking against the king's situation. He didn't shut up. He spoke the truth. He got arrested for it. That was even unjust, but nonetheless, he got arrested for it. He spoke up. Remember, I mean, Jesus, he didn't take a beating just to get a beating. Are y'all hearing me? You remember this guy by the name of Paul? You remember he was about to get beaten by the Romans and he was like, hold on a second. Are you supposed to beat a Roman, you know, without cause? And they were like, oh, time out. You're a Roman citizen? Because he knew the laws of the land. And he, and he, and he operated by them. He respected and he honored. But he spoke up when he needed to speak up. It's the same thing for us. So you honor position, regardless of the person. You can speak truth. You don't have to be nasty. You don't have to be disrespectful. But I'm going to tell you what, you should be praying more than anything else. The last thing that we got to do here in this this particular area is we need to trust God's word is true. How many of y'all believe that? We need to trust if God says for us to submit, God has our back. God has us in the place that we need to be. Outside of a clear violation of Scripture that I already talked about earlier, a rebellion against God's word, our submission, God commands our submission to government. Hear me when I say this. When we resist God's authority, we resist God. Did you hear me? When we resist God's authority, we resist God. You know what the Bible says? I just read this. We bring judgment upon ourselves. That's terrible. Second thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must acknowledge God's command to love others. We must acknowledge God's command to love others. Verses 8 through 10, look what it says. It says, owe no one anything except to love one another for he who for he who loves another has fulfilled the law for the commandments you shall not commit adultery you shall not murder you shall not steal you shall not bear false witness you shall not covet and if there is any other commandment and all they all are summed up in this saying you shall love your neighbor as yourself look at verse 10 love does no harm to a neighbor therefore love is the fulfillment of the law and so here's what we got to realize god's law teaches us two basic principles all-encompassing love for god which is mind body soul spirit and strength and an, and an active love for others hear me when i say this now everything, what, what we're what our motivation and everything that we do it should be what love Our motivation, why we do the things we do, why we act the way we act, why we treat people the way we treat them, it has to be motivated in love. That's where it's got to be. We need to come to that place while our love, now listen when I say this, while our love for others does not guarantee we are in good standing with God, our good standing with God must lead us to love for others. Did you hear that? Because there's a lot of people in this world, they think that they're good people because they care about other people. Because they do good for other people, therefore they think that they're okay with God. Let me tell you something, that's not necessarily true. But can I tell you something? If you are okay with God, and how do you become okay with God? Well, you realize that you were once separated from him. You realize that you are a sinner by birth, by choice, and you realize that Jesus died in your place so that way you don't have to spend eternity separated from God. You put your faith in Jesus as God the Son. You trust him. You repent of your sin, and you you put your life in his hands, and that's how you are right with God, not based on any of your righteousness or your goodness, but based upon his. That's how you get right with him. And so if you're, if, you, if you're right with God, there's something that should follow, and it's that you should love people. I told, I've told this before. You know, when I first became a Christian, I, you know, I thought that I knew how to love, but as I started growing, I realized that I lacked the love in my heart. And so what did I start doing? I immediately started to pray, and it wasn't because I even knew the scripture that I'm about to read to you, but what, what I realized is that I was, I, was, I was not loving the way that God wanted me to love. And so I needed God to do something in my heart. Here's what I want you to realize. Hear me when I say this. It, it, um, it, it is, if, if the love and, and, and the desire to do good for others is absent in our lives, we must question our Christianity. Did you hear that? Did you hear me? If you don't care about others, you need to question your Christianity. I know, I know, I know that was rough. Turn with me real quick to 1 John. I, not, this is not my opinion. This is God's word. This is not what I think. This is what God thinks. This is what God says in his word. First John, y'all know this. Y'all, y'all should know these scriptures well. First John chapter 3, we're going to read verses 10 through 18. You should hold your place in Romans because we're going to go back there. But 1 John chapter 3, verse 10 through 18, look what it says here. I'm going to let you get there. When you got to say so. And it says, in, in this, listen to this, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. That's pretty clear, isn't it? in this whoever does not practice righteousness is not of god listen now nor is he who does not know love who does not love his brother for this is the message that you heard from the beginning that we should love one another not as cain who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother and why did he murder him because his works were evil and his brother's righteousness and his brother's righteous Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. But I want us to go a little further. Look at chapter 4 and verse 7. I think that that was pretty clear already as as far as love and me saying, man, you need to question your christianity if you don't love if you don't care about other people look at chapter four and verse seven he says beloved let us love one another for lovers of god and everyone who loves is born of god and knows god he who does not love listen to me does not know god for god is love can that be any clearer Listen, if you do not have love in your heart, if there is not love in your heart, there is a problem. There is an issue. If you don't care about the well-being of others, you don't care about what's going on around you. If you don't care about your brothers and sisters in Christ, if you don't care about those things. Listen, it's easy. Hear me when I say this. In some cases, it is easy to care about your immediate family, right? Because there's some people that it's easy to not care about them. But nonetheless... The reality is, it is easy to care about my immediate family. It's easy for me to say, I love my wife. I care about my wife. I care about my brothers. I care about my sisters. I care about my children. But outside of that, there has to be a love that moves you. But he ain't done here. He goes on to say in verse 9, he says, In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because we have given, because he has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent the son as savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he, and he in God and he who know, and and we have known and, 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 and the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in, in love abides in God and God in him. Now listen, love has been perfected us. Verse 20 says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Listen, the scriptures are clear. The love of God must compel us to love our brothers. Despite the color of their skin, hello. Despite our differences of opinion, despite all of those things, love must move us towards one another, not away from one another. That's what we need. We need a people that are motivated by love to move toward people who are different rather than run away from people who are different. Because you know what Jesus did? you know the Bible says this in, in in the book of Isaiah chapter 6 it says that Isaiah had this vision of God up in heaven right and when it says he has this vision he was high and lifted up he was on his throne the train of his robe filled the temple and it said that the cherubim were around him and the, you know, and they were seraphim and they were you know they were they were flying and flapping all over the place and you know they covered their face and their feet and the other with the, they had six wings and so they're flying around and he said and he says this he says and they were yelling one to the other and the pillars of the temple were shaken because their voice was so intense and they were yelling holy Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And what we've learned is that when he talks about holy, what he is saying is God is different. He's different. He's not like us. He's holy. Even Listen, even different than these holy angels. Are you hearing me? He is holier than what we can even understand of holiness. That is who God is. And you know what he does? He moved to those who were different than him by his love. Those who were separated from him because of their sin, that's what makes us different. We're created in the image of God. But you know what happened? Sin entered this world and now we are different. And you know what he does? He moves toward us in love. That's what's supposed to happen in our hearts. We're supposed to be moved by love towards one another. Hearts conquered by God's love are the key to the church being the salt and light, truly contending for the faith and being the faithful witnesses our culture desperately needs. Can I tell you something? Westboro Baptist Church is the worst Listen to me when I say this. They are the worst depiction of what a Christian is supposed to be. Listen to what I'm saying. Those people are foolish. Those people are hateful. Those people are not living the way that God calls them to live. They may be speaking what the Bible says, but they are not living the love that God shows us in the Bible. Are you hearing me? Why do I say that? Because you want to know one of the reasons why the church has lost so much influence in the culture? is because of foolishness like that. Because the people who have the truth of God but do not have the love of God that is overflowing their lives. And so what happens is they get up and they open their mouth. And sadly, because the enemy, and listen to me when I say this, our battle is not flesh and blood. And the enemy gets a hold of these news, you know, casters and these, and, and, and these, and these channels that go ahead and promote this as being. That's what Christianity is. That is not what Christianity is. And what we need to do as a church, we need to stand up firmly and say, listen, the truth is the truth, but the love of God needs to come, come forward with the truth as well. That's what needs to happen and that we can gain our, our, our ability because, you know what, we need, to, we, need to, we need to be moved by love. The last thing that I'll ask you to repeat after me is this, say, we must acknowledge God's call to holy living in the midst of darkness. Let's go, through, let, let's go to Romans chapter 13, and we're going to read 11 through 14, and we'll wrap this up here. And he says this, and he says this. So he gives us two things so far that he said. Thus far, he has said to be submissive to those in authority. And the second one is, he says we are to owe no man anything, but we are to love them, right? That's what he says here. He communicates this clearly. He shows us that if love is in our hearts, right, if love is in our hearts, then we won't harm anyone, right? We'll obey the commandments of God. I won't commit adultery because I love. I won't steal because I love. I won't murder because I love. That's what he's communicating. He's saying, I'll submit to authority. I will give honor where honor is due because I love, not just because I have to. Christians, listen to me. Our hearts need to be conquered by love. And then Paul goes on to say this in his closing point to this whole this, to, to the whole sermon that he's giving here. He says this to them. He says, "And do this, do what? Love and submit. Do this why? Knowing the time that now it is high time, say high time." to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And and, and he says, and the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day. Listen to me, not in revelry and drunkenness. We shouldn't party like the world. Hear me when I say this. In lewdness and lust, our sexuality should look different. Sex is to be enjoyed, for sure, but not the way the world does. Not in strife and envy. There shouldn't be contention and division among us. Shouldn't be there because we should be conquered by love. And so he makes it really clear that we should look different than the world. He says, and put on, look what he says in verse 14 put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. No provision for the flesh. Don't do anything. Listen, do not set yourself up for failure in any kind of way. Listen, I'm, I'm gonna say this right now. There's some people, you know, y'all you, you, you have heard me say this before. We talk about drinking alcohol. I think it's unwise. I think it's unnecessary. I'm not gonna sit here and make up a scripture and be like, hey, the Bible says this. I will tell you this. Proverbs says clearly, don't even look at wine when it's red in a cup. I'll tell you like that. That's what the Bible does say there. But I will say this as well. What a lot of people, you know, they go by this rule. Well, you know, it's okay for me to do it. Listen to me, for some of y'all it is sin for Jeremy. for some of you it is sin because you can't just have one drink and some of y'all like well i can i can stop at one drink uh-huh sure i moderate myself listen stop moderating yourself just repent just recognize that it's sinful recognize that it's wrong recognize where it's unnecessary be honest about this thing the truth of the matter is that we need to we need to look at our lives and we need to say, hold on a second, make no provision for the flesh. Some of y'all, cable is a sin. Some of y'all, your internet, listen to me, your internet is a sin. For some of y'all, the smartphone you have is a sin. Well, hold on, Bishop, though. Where, where does the Bible say that? You're making provision for the flesh. Because on your smartphone, it's real smart. It knows just what you're like, doesn't it? because you're finding it on there all the time. Your internet, oh, your internet's just there. Your your, your internet is an innocent bystander of every website you serve to feed your flesh. Your cable television, no one else knows about it except you, but guess what? And you don't gotta go and order anything in order for you to see some perverted stuff on TV. Hello. I love what one preacher said. He said, HBO meant hellbound only. Cinemax meant sin to the max. Oh, that's old school. I, listen, that ain't old school. That's the real deal. I remember one time, there's no lie. I, I'll confess this to you right now. I remember one time they, they, on our cable channel, they gave us the, the package, the Showtime, and, and like something. I, I don't know, it was like a three-month thing. They're like, hey, we're going to give you this for free. And I was like, all right, cool. You know, I'll see some movies there. And this, this is serious. And I, I have to, I confess this to you. And, and I stutter saying this because I'm so embarrassed this even happened. But one day I clicked on that TV, and there was a woman standing butt naked. And I'm, and I'm going to tell you right now, I didn't turn it off. I sat there and watched it for a little while. Let me confess it. Let me tell you how much that hurts me to even have to say that to you. But I'm going to tell you what. I didn't go ahead and order that showtime. Hello. I made sure. Three months is up. We're done. And I made sure. You know what I did? I made sure after that I never went back to those channels again. Because you know what happens if you don't set your TV up, if you don't know this, to not turn on on a certain channel or to turn back to a certain channel? I made sure I didn't do that. But here's what I want you to realize. For some of you, there are things that you're making provision for your flesh and you need to stop. You need to recognize you're not that strong. And just because you're free don't mean you should do it. Just because you can doesn't mean you should be there. But here's what he communicates these things to us. And so the Apostle Paul calls the church to submission. He calls it to submission to government. He calls us to love for others because of the time, the hour. Look what he says. He says, because of the time. He's not talking about chronos time. He's not talking about like it's 12 o'clock time. He's talking about the kairos time. He's talking about the set time, the appointed time. He's talking about the time that it is supposed to, that that we're looking at. He's saying, man, this. There is an eternal time clock. And because it is high time, because he says this, he says it's high time, he's talking about what? He's talking about the urgency that is there in the time that we are. He says that our salvation is nearer than when we first believe. What is he talking about? He's talking about the imminence of Christ's return, that in any moment, Jesus can return for his church. At any moment, the fulfillment of the book of Revelation can occur. He's saying, listen, because our salvation is nearer, listen, trust me, for those of you that are in here that are a little bit older than me, i I mean, you've probably seen the moral decay go from like here and you're like seeing it plummet. You're like, what is going on? I mean, just in my my, my, my few years on this earth, hello, somebody. In my few years on this earth, I have seen morality just, I mean, increase in, in such a crazy, crazy manner. He says it's high time. He says our salvation is nearer. And he says because it is day, the day is at hand. He's saying what? He's talking about the seriousness. Our hope in Jesus' return must provoke holiness in our lives. Listen, when I say we're sleeping, what I'm telling you is that we are sleeping. We are, we, we, we are being lulled to sleep because we're allowing ourselves to just sit back and we're not looking forward to the return of Jesus. We're worried more about, you know, retirement. We're worried more about the car we're we're saving up for. We're worried more about the vacation we're going to go on. And let me tell you something. There ain't nothing wrong with retirement. There's nothing wrong with the vacation. There's nothing wrong with a nice car. There's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. My issue is when those are the only thing that you are living for. When that is all that you're consuming, when there's nothing inside of you that's really, and listen, I'm not just talking about, yeah, I really want Jesus to come. No, no, like, like, like there's no longing inside of you for Jesus' return. There's no, there's no focus on, man, Jesus is coming. I can't be living like this. I can't be focused on these things. Where is it? Well, Paul is saying, hey, man, it's high time to wake up. It's high time to wake up out of sleep. Hear me, hear me. When spiritual apathy, when compromising conviction and divisiveness are found among, uh, among us, it's a clear sign of a sleeping church that is under the influence of the world rather than the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. When we see these things in our lives, when we see spiritual apathy... Like, there's no passion for prayer. We talk about, listen, we, we talk about the, our, our house calls, which are our prayer calls that go on 430, 1230, 930. You know, we do. We started those last year, and it's because I recognize, you know, some spiritual warfare that's going on against the church. But can I tell you something? The reason why we continue this is because we want us to be a house of prayer. And we realize that everybody can't get to the house of God, so we make these house calls so you can be available. And you know what? We, we joke around. This is not funny. Like, how many people get on these calls? These it for you to be on these calls, not for me just to get on there and pray. I don't need to get on a phone call to pray, and the leaders that pray, they don't need to get on a phone call to pray. They can pray, but it's there for us as a church, so we can do what? So we can be aware of the desperate need that there is for God, so we can be aware. And listen, I know everybody doesn't pray like everybody. What you need to do is get on the phone and pray with somebody. Hello. That's what I'm saying. Like, like and listen, you're like, well, I don't have time to get on those calls. Well, do you have time to get on your knees? Do you have time to get before God? Because my hope is that while you may not get in a 4.30 call or a 12.30 call or a 9.30 call, I hope that there's some 30 in your life that you're seeking God's face. I hope there's some time that you're really broken before God and you're really crying out to him for a mighty and glorious move of his spirit. Because you know what I know is this, is that there is hope in God Almighty. And Paul talks to the church, he tells the church some really important things here. He tells the church to wake up, he tells the church to clean up, and he tells the church to grow up for the sake of Jesus and for the, in order for the gospel to move through us in a redeeming manner and effect on the culture. And I have one more scripture to read, re- to read and then we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. Turn with me to Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. And remember that. It's time for the church to wake up, to clean up, and to grow up. When he said to put on Christ, he was saying grow up. Put on Christ. Make no provision for the flesh. You know, people start, start talking about, oh, I'm, I'm older in the Lord, and so I can be. No, you're not more free. You should be more holy. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. And he says this. Look at this. He says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. All men it's appeared it's been revealed to all men it's, it's it's here for the access of all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust we should live soberly righteously and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our of our great god and savior jesus christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works so we're looking for the glorious return of jesus we're looking for this great return of this great and glorious Savior. And you know what the grace of God tells us? It doesn't tell us, hey, man, go sin all you want. It says sin no more. It says live holy lives. Live separated lives. Live lives that are distinct lives. You know, this morning we have a, a beautiful family that's with us as they, as they walked in. And they walked in, on a, in in on us while we are in the midst of our casual Sundays, hence this outfit. And Brother Eric, he was like, man, casual Sundays are cool until people show up dressed up, then you feel underdressed. And I want to use them as a great example, and not because of any other reason, but you see how they stand out in this place right now? That's how we should be in the world. I'm not, that's what it means to put on Christ. It means to cast off the darkness, to wake up out of our sleep and to say, hold on a second. My life needs to be different than the world. I need to represent Christ more boldly and more. And if there is any confusion, I need to clear the confusion up. I need to be that bold witness for the glory of Jesus. And so my question in this is this, are you sleeping on the job? Are you like a lot, you know, like me and my friend were that I described in the beginning? Like, hey man, it's your turn to take a nap. It's your turn to watch. Are you that person that's saying, hey man, it's someone else's turn to watch? It's someone else's turn to go ahead and pay attention to what's going on. It's someone else's turn to to pray. It's someone else's turn to preach. It's someone else's turn to be a witness. It's someone else's turn. It's someone else. Listen, when is it your turn? Can I tell you when it's your turn? Right now. Today. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Listen, I thank God for some of the conversations. And some of you, you know, I, I, I want you to know some of you, I, I, I know that, that you are not sleeping. And let me just say that. Some of you, I know you're not sleeping because I have conversations with you. You tell me about situations that are going on at your job where you're having conversations and, you know, they're, 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 you're, you're contending for the faith. But that doesn't mean you may not be sleeping in other areas. Maybe awake in certain areas, but need, need to wake up completely and say, God, I just want to surrender to you totally. And so I talked about a couple of things here, but I just want to run through these. I have six quick, quick questions for you. And I want you to consider these, and then we're going to pray. Is there any area of civil life in which I have exercised cavalier or disobedient spirit? So is there any way, is there any area in the, within our government with the things that are going on that we are categorizing? And we're just being, we're just being disrespectful and dishonoring. Because if that's you, you need to come to repentance. You need to repent before God because you're not fixing anything. No, the second one is, do I treat my governing authorities with the same respect I treat God who appointed them? That's tough. It doesn't mean you worship them. The same way that when the Bible calls a wife to submit to a husband or anything like that, she doesn't worship him as she worships God. She honors him, and that's, and that's what we're talking about. Recognizing this situation in this marriage. Number three, when was the last time you thanked God for the safety that you enjoy daily or thank those authorities that provided for you at the risk of their own lives? Just read some of the stories of people, you know, when you think about this, I mean, I, and listen, all the stuff that we see going on, there's no justice for any, any, a, anyone being killed unjustly, right? There's no, obviously, there's no justice in that. But what I want you to know is that here's the thing. Those cops in Dallas, those police officers that were there, You know what they were protecting? They were protecting the people that were protesting them. Mm -hmm. And you want to know what those people started running when bullets started flying? Behind those same cops they were protesting. And what I want you to know is that those cops got up that day and they said, you know, we're going to go out here and we're going to go and we're going to serve this city even though they're hating us right now. And guess what? Those cops that were in Dallas, they weren't the cops that did any of this. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't even eye for an eye. It was foolishness. And so when you leave here today, if you see a police officer, if you see someone like that, make sure you thank them. Make sure you say thank you. Make sure you add them to your prayer list because they do a hard job. And sometimes they're hated just for no reason, just because they put on a uniform and all of a sudden they're all this. Not true. I can tell you right now, listen, I'm Puerto Rican. I'm not light-skinned. Hello, somebody. I've been pulled over a few times because I'm not the most law-buying citizen all the time. Hello. And can I tell you something? There has only been one time, and every time that I've ever been pulled over, that I didn't feel attention. And can I tell you something? It isn't attention because I'm a Puerto Rican. It's attention because that cop doesn't know what he's walking up on, and so he's tense. He doesn't know what's going on. you just go and watch some videos online one day and just kind of put yourself in their position and think about. They had a guy that was talking all this smack, and they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to let you make some decisions. They, I, I love the video. And they gave him three scenarios, and you want to know what? And like two, and one of the scenarios, he shot someone. The first scenario, he got killed because he didn't know what to do, and it was so quick that someone could pull a gun on you and you get shot. And, you know, I heard a friend of mine, and he's a Puerto Rican. Hello. I got to point this out because, you know, if it's a white guy, he can't say it. It's it's terrible, so terrible. The reverse racism is terrible. But you know what he said to me? He said, because we have another friend, he's black, and he's a a state trooper. And he said, look, man, when I go to work every day, it's to protect and serve, not to protect and die. To protect and serve. I want to come home to my family. That's what they want to do. That's what those police officers wanted to do. The reality is we need to be thankful for those who give their lives for us. And not be so quick to judge. Now, listen, we need to pray for justice in those situations. We need to pray for the truth in those situations to come out for sure. And we need to pray, just like I said, to pray for godly leaders in our nation. We also need to pray about what? We need to pray for those police officers, those bad in the bunch. we need to pray for those. And let me tell you something. My son is black. So I'm hypersensitive about this. Because my son's got to grow up. And and look, if we continue the way that we are, it's not going to get any better. But you know what? I'll make sure my son knows how to act when he gets pulled over. That's for sure. I'm just telling you. We need to be real. We need to educate. We need to make sure people know. Don't just, don't, don't, don't just stereotype. That goes both ways. Number four, do I try to rationalize my failure to love on the basis of technicalities instead of simply obeying the law of love? Do you do that? Do you say, well, you know, I can't really love them. I can't, I, can't really, I can't really, you know. The Bible says to love. You have nine reasons why you can't love them. I give you one reason. That's the most important one, God says to. That's it. I don't care how many reasons you have not to. Number five, have I made any plans for the future that are more important to me than the return of Jesus Christ? Hmm. Number six, if Christ appeared today, is there any lifestyle, thought, or activity that I would be ashamed to have brought into his light. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right there. And I, and I will, I'm going to pray. I want us to pray. I want us to pray as a church. Last week we got on our knees. And we prayed because it was a call to fall. The day that the church came together. And so if you want to get on your knees to pray with me, we can pray together. I just want to lead us in prayer for our nation. I want to lead us in prayer for this land that desperately needs God. I want to pray for us as a church. I want to pray for the body of Christ. So I'm just going to lead us. I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer today. Before I do that, I just want to say that if you don't know Jesus today, if you have not submitted your life to God, I want you to know that he died for you. He shed his blood so that way you could have life and you could have life eternal, so that way you could be re- reconnected to him. And so if you don't know him today and you want to know him today, call upon his name. If you don't know him today, ask him to save you. Ask him to deliver you from your sin. Ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit. And so like I said, if you want to join me on my knees, if you want to join me in prayer, you can now. Let's pray together father today we come before your presence we humble ourselves before you god almighty father we acknowledge that there is no one who is like you in heaven there is no one who is like you on earth god and so we bow before you father we need you more than anything lord god forgive us today lord god for our slumber forgive us for our sleep forgive us for our compromise forgive us for living unholy forgive us for living immature forgive us for living unrighteously in the in the times that we live god forgive us heavenly father for not serving you with all of our soul with all of our heart with everything that is within us god Father, we come to you, Lord God, on behalf of a nation that is in desperate, desperate need of the glory of God. We're in desperate need of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We're in desperate need of a mighty move of your Spirit, God. And so, Lord, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we pray for mercy in this land, my God. Father, as we cried out this morning, Lord God, Hosanna, Lord God, which means Lord, save, Lord, help. Lord God, so we cry out today, Lord, save God, Lord, help, my God. Lord, bring deliverance, Lord. There is hope in you and in you alone, God. And so, Lord, we cry out in the great name of Jesus. We cry out before your throne, my God, and we just ask, dear Lord, that you would open heaven, Lord God, in this nation, that you would open the windows of heaven and pour out your spirit, that you would pour out your glory, God, that you would bring revival to this land. Lord God, you truly are the hope of all mankind. And as you have said, Lord God, the grace of God has appeared unto all men lord god that brings salvation and so lord we pray for revival lord god for salvation my god for deliverance my god we pray for healing in this land that is hurting my god we pray that love would flood our hearts we pray lord god that you would bring unity that you would bring restoration that you would bring healing my god that lord god that before there was a martin luther King. Abraham Lincoln. There was a Jesus Christ who prayed and Lord God he prayed that we would be one as you and the Father are one my God. You prayed for unity my Lord and so we pray for unity that is based on the cross that is based upon the blood of Jesus that is based upon the truth of scripture. My God let your reviving work be manifested in our days God. Father we pray for these hurting families my Lord Father God, we acknowledge, my Lord, that there are people, Lord Jesus, that have woken, that, that woke up, Lord God, to knocks on the door. Heavenly Father, to the worst news ever, my God. There are people that got a phone call, dear Lord, that, that 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 was sharing truth, my God, of someone who they loved, who died, who was shot, my God, whether justly or unjustly. My God, we are not the judges in some of these situations, but Heavenly Father, you know the truth. And so, God, we just pray for comfort, my God. We pray that you comfort those hurting. We pray that you would comfort the brokenhearted. Father God, for those that were killed, Lord God, unjustly, completely. Lord God, we pray for their families, my God. Oh, Spirit of the Lord, bring healing to these hearts that are hurting, my God. Father, we pray for our our military. We pray for our police. Father God, we pray for our first responders, my Lord. Father God, we pray for those who go into harm's way for us, my God. Oh, Father God, may you protect them. May you keep them. Father, we don't dare pray, my God, for them, Lord, without praying for those that have the wrong heart, that have the wrong mind, for those who usurp authority, Lord God, for those who lord their authority over, Lord God, for those, Heavenly Father, who are experiencing, Lord Jesus, a desperate need for you. Reveal yourself to them, God. Bring them to repentance, my Lord. Father, expose corruption. Bring repentance. Bring restoration, my God that all of those who serve in these capacities would know that they're your ministers. Father God, we pray for our nation's leaders, my God. Father, raise up righteous leaderships in in this land. Father God, raise up leaders that fear you, God. Raise up leaders that are humble before you. Raise up leaders, my God, who recognize how far we have gone from your precepts, from your word. Raise up leaders who recognize their rebellion and how their decisions, their legislation, Lord God, that rebels against you, only leads us further and further under your judgment, my God. Father, raise up leaders, Lord God, who realize that if God is not with us and we're alone and we're in a bad place, that if God is not with us, Lord God, if God doesn't sustain us, if God doesn't build us, if God doesn't keep us, Lord God. Father, raise up a people, my Lord. Father, I pray lastly for us, your church. My God, may we be repentant before you for our own rebellion. May we be repentant before you for our spiritual apathy. May we be repentant before you, my God, for our compromised convictions, my Lord. May we be repentant before you for our divisiveness, for being competitive with our brothers and sisters rather than complimenting them, Lord God. Forgive us for our rebellion against authority, my God. Forgive us for our dishonor of your name and our dishonor of one another, God. Father, raise up preachers of righteousness. Raise up ministers who are bold, Lord God. Raise up ministers who are truly prophetic. Raise up ministers who are truly given to the word of God, who are truly given to prayer, my God. And let our churches experience real revival, Lord God. Father, restore the power that we once had my God. Restore the influence that we once had, my God. Father, raise up the body of Christ in these last days. Father, use us for your glory and for your name's sake. Father, we desperately need you. So, God, have your way. Have your way in our hearts. Restore and heal, God. Out to you. You are our hope. Let your light shine through us. Let your glory be with us. And may you use us in Jesus' great name.